This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. Spring into pre-emergent weed control action for canola and pulse crops with Edge Microactive. Powerful Group 3 action takes out the broadest assortment of grass and broadleaf weeds, including kochia, wild buckwheat, and barnyard grass, before they can take over your crop. Use Edge Microactive as a part of your herbicide layering program to help maximize yields today and manage resistance tomorrow. Go to ca.gowanco.com for details. Always read and follow label directions from Gowan Company. Hi, I'm Stephanie Crowley, Editorial Director of Top Crop Manager. In many parts of the country, spring seeding or planting is about to begin. And depending on where you're located or when you're listening to this, it might already be well underway or nearly complete. So to kick off this spring season, this episode of Inputs features interviews with two guests. First, we'll hear from Ben Rosser, the corn specialist at the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs, based in Guelph, Ontario. Ben will give a status update on corn planting in Ontario and share some helpful tips to keep in mind as the season continues. Then Jeremy Boychin, Agronomy Research Extension Specialist for Alberta Wheat and Barley Commissions, joins us from Calgary to chat about spring cereals and some important initiatives underway on the prairies. Whether you've just begun seeding or your hashtag plant 21 is nearly complete, we wish you a safe and prosperous season. Enjoy! Hi, Ben. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Stephanie. No problem. Happy to be here. Good. Can you remind our listeners of your role with OMAFRA and what it is you do? Yeah, so I'm corn specialist with the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs. So we're, you know, I'm a member of the field crop unit and, uh, you know, my responsibility is uh, corn extension. So getting information out to growers and agronomists and, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, applied research and that sort of thing as well. Awesome. And I think you're also a member of the Ontario Corn Committee as well. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. That's correct. Good, good. Maybe we'll get into that shortly and find out what uh, the Corn Committee is up to as well. But uh, I just wanted to start and, and see, you know, we wanted to focus this episode on um, kind of predictions for the coming corn season in Ontario. And I wondered if you could comment on planting progress so far. Uh, we've had some really nice weather, but, uh, and, you know, and quite a bit of rain again in some parts as well. So I wondered where, where we stand and uh, what things are looking like in fields around you that you've seen. Yeah. So in this point here, we're talking, you know, we're still early to mid April. Um, this is still exceptionally early for, for corn planting in Ontario. Now, that being said, like you had mentioned, uh, you know, kind of starting from late March on, uh, you know, soils were starting to dry. I was talking to growers in late, late March who were already starting to do some field prep and that just because it could get on the ground and things were dry. Yeah. Um, last week, there's a really small smattering of corn, usually some growers that, you know, wanted to play around a little bit or see, hey, what would happen if I planted corn this early? Um, but, you know, it'd be minuscule from an overall picture. So really planning hasn't started with the exception of the odd field or part of a field that the odd grower is put in just to kind of see hey what happens if I plant corn this early so essentially planting really hasn't started at this point yet okay I guess I've seen some uh some folks on Twitter coming out and and getting in a little bit earlier and so that's where we maybe some of them are jumping the gun a little bit or can you talk about risks involved with planting too early what are we looking at um you know kind of the risk when we go in in early April still yeah so if you look at the kind of uh risk to work risk to reward you know the 
reward if you're looking at strictly from a yield perspective, you know, if you're planting uh, an adapted maturity hybrid, you'd normally plant on your farm. We wouldn't expect any extra yield potential by planting this much earlier than normal. So um, what are you planted now compared to what we would consider kind of a normal early start being late April, uh, really early May, we wouldn't expect any yield and yield benefit for planting this early. I mean, if conditions stayed really good for the rest of April, maybe there's some advantages like, you know, getting the corn in, in, in good conditions and getting a little bit of work done earlier, you know, maybe some more advanced drier corn come fall. If things, uh, if things continued well here in April, um, if you wanted to push maturity on hybrids, you know, again, potentially you could put a, a longer maturity hybrid. And if we got more heat in us this year, you could maybe get a bit of extra yield. Although mm -hmm. again, I don't, I don't know that a warm period now necessarily predicts we'll get more heat this summer, but, um, those are some of the potential advantages of trying to plant early. Um, but there's a lot of, uh, a lot of risks as well, especially planting ultra earlier like this. So, you know, putting the seed in the ground, if we end up going to, uh, cooler wetter period for a week or two which you know for early april isn't uh, isn't out of the question for us to mm -hmm. get that kind of weather right um, it's a risk to have seed just sitting in the ground doing nothing at that point especially if things turn cool so there's pest and disease pressure and that uh you know stand uniformity and issues like that as well trying to really push the planting dates too so there's uh there's potential for lots of risk if you're going excessively early if things if if weather ends up going backwards on us Right. Definitely. And, and yeah, like you said, we just, that's not out of the question in April. We really have no idea. Um, you know, we could see snow like we did last year in at the beginning of May again, in, in some regions, I remember that. So, um, definitely things to be cautious with, um, for those, you know, who have started to plant and, or maybe if you've talked to some growers lately, um, do you know, can you comment on what conditions have been like across the province too far? What soil conditions are like, has it been really wet in some areas or too dry in some areas? Um, I guess what are our ideal, um, needs right now as we, as we start? Yeah, so certainly I don't think wetness has been an issue. You know, the snow melt was kind of slow. It went away nicely. We haven't had a lot of rains. Mm -hmm. um, so I think in most cases, soils dried up. And, you know, I was talking again, talking to growers in late March who were already doing some working grass. I said, man, the, the dust is flying. It's uh, it's weird for us to be out in March, let alone to see dust flying when we're doing yeah. soil and stuff. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's unusual for Ontario. I think the, the rain is welcome for wheat and other uh, perennial crops that uh, could could use the rain. Mm -hmm. um, from a moisture perspective for corn planting, to be honest with you, I haven't talked to growers. I haven't really been out a whole lot myself yet, but um, I would find it unusual that things would be excessively dry at this point for, for planting corn. Um, so yeah, that would be my my uh, my best guess anyways at, at this point. Okay. That's good to know. Um, and I wanted to talk to you too, a little bit about estimated acres to be planted. And I think numbers wise, we've been looking at, um, corn acres that have been planted to be rising year over year. Um, have you, do you have any data on that or any comments on that data? Do you think we'll be, um, planting more and more acres of corn again in 2021? Yeah. So I really don't have, uh, don't have many comments. I have no additional insights or data on, uh, on acres or how things go. It's not something that we track ourselves. Um, we brought the question up at the Ridgetown breakfast meeting last week and mm -hmm. the seed reps and agronomists that were local, their comments were from seed orders. Mm -hmm. that things were kind of similar to where they were last year, maybe a little bit above um, what the, the previous year had been. Um, but again, that's basing things off of orders that went in, you know, last fall and over right. the winter time. Right. Um, so yeah, I think it kind of depends on how weather conditions turn out this, uh, this spring and, and how conditions are for planting for, for corn to continue. 
Awesome. Okay. And we know that weather conditions are, um, that that's really what we, we rely on to make a lot of predictions for the coming year. And I'm kind of wondering, you know, we've talked in within top crop manager um, at our virtual event this year, we talked to Tracy Bowdy and talking about um, BT resistant corn rootworm um, and just kind of looking ahead at some pest threats and disease threats. Um, I've talked to Albert Tenuta recently as well about tar spot. Um, wondering if you have any kind of early season, very early season predictions or warnings for growers who, um, who are planting corn and, and maybe looking ahead and what we might expect in terms of um, insect pests and, and disease and weed pressure this year. Yeah. So I think like you mentioned, you know, talking with Tracy and Albert about BT resistant corn rootworm and tar spot. I think it's really good to have those things on your radar and be aware of what they are and what the issues and risks of those are. Um, but yeah, in terms of trying to make predictions at this time, you know, a lot of these things really depend on growing conditions, you know, temperatures and rainfall and that sort of thing in the growing season. So at this point, we're, we're still pretty early and, you know, kind of in the, well, I don't want to say the blank slate stage, but uh, certainly early to, to try to make any predictions at this point, given on how important in-season conditions are for those developments. But certainly, yeah, I would, I think it's important for growers to be aware of some of those emerging things or to have some of those at least on their radar, being aware of what they are and, you know, having a watch for those when they're out scouting your fields. Mm-hmm. Is there something in particular that would concern you most this year? You know, even if we don't have conducive weather conditions to it, just an, a corn issue that's really, you know, sticking out to you at this time. I don't know. There's really a major one. Again, like you mentioned, the, the BT resistant corn rootworm, you know, I think represents a risk for growers that are on, uh, you know, heavy corn on corn acres mm-hmm. and something they should be aware of and, and watching for. Yeah. Um, and then again, you know, coming down to the tire spot issue, like you mentioned as well, something new to us that we haven't experienced in Ontario. And we've had a bit of warning because it's been kind of popping up in the States and slowly creeping its way upwards towards where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, just one of those things to have on your radar, being aware of what it is. So if you are out looking in your field and you seeing, then, you know, you can know what you're looking at and uh, know to be aware of some of these emerging issues. But yeah, no, no major big things that I see coming up again at, uh, at, at this point for this growing season. Oh, that's good. I like the way that your crystal ball looks right now. I think we could yeah. all, we'd all be happy to leave it like that. Um, that's good. So for those who have just started planting or haven't quite begun, um, let's get some tips. There's lots of different advice that you could offer, but um, something practical for growers. Is there anything you'd like to remind them in terms of row spacing, optimum depth, um, any other uh, advice that you can uh, just remind folks as they get into planting? It's mostly textbook stuff. Um, If a grower really wants to push some really early corn, you know, we say, hey, if it's something you want to try, at least put a bit in, you know, do it, but don't do it all across, you know, a a big portion of your acres, consider a risk management approach. And, you know, Mm -hmm. if you want to try it, try it out, but just do it on a little, a very small portion of your acres if it's something you really want to try. And again, you know, when it comes down to the, you know, the basic agronomy stuff of planting early, I know when you're planting early, you know, growers don't want to go deep because they're takes longer for seed to come out of the ground and soil sure. conditions are usually cool if you're trying to plant uh, especially early so you know if you're trying to shallow up depth making sure that um, you're not excessively shallow for instance you know corn needs to be planted at least one inch um, for proper root development mm-hmm. and most planters even if you're set to plant an inch aren't always going to plant at an inch so you know our general recommendation is to make sure you're not planting any shallower than an inch and a quarter Okay. You know, an inch and a half is kind of your normal planting depth <clears throat> to, to start out with, you know, just making sure you're not shallowing up more than that. If that's something that you're concerned about and, and are trying to, to go shallow. Okay. Um, but yeah, really not much beyond that. You know, there's other things if you're trying to plant ultra early, like, you know, the importance of starter fertilizer and cooler soils and those sorts of things. 
but uh, yeah, nothing, uh, nothing major beyond, you know, those kind of textbook, uh, textbook considerations for early planting. Well, that's good. And we'll just kind of see how the rest of the spring plays out and, and what comes up at that point. So good stuff. Um, I also wanted to go back to the Ontario Corn Committee and what's happening with them. So can you get into that a little bit? Any specific uh, projects or trials that um, you and the committee are working on this season? Yes, I think the main one is, uh, you know, beyond just the normal trials that are going on themselves is uh, the corn committee is doing the third year of uh, a Dawn hybrid evaluation trials. Mm -hmm. So the seed companies that participate in the trials are able to enter some hybrids, some select hybrids into the Dawn trial. So usually more common hybrids that are grown in in bigger acres across the province, especially in kind of those Dawn hotspots like, you know, and London area, west right. into Chatham, Kent, that kind of heat unit area. But there is a range of hybrids in the trials. Um, uh, but yeah, this would kind of be the main, uh, I guess, I don't want to call it a side project, but main thing that's different than what has traditionally gone on. So this is all kind of come out of 2018 when we had the bad dawn year. Mm-hmm. Um, this would be the third year of these dawn hybrid trials. And it's a piece of information, you know, hybrid selection is one of the most important factors for trying to mitigate dawn risk. And um, something that the corn hybrid committee hasn't uh, hasn't done because it takes a fair bit of work. You know, there's inoculation and misting in these trials. It's not just a typical trial that goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be the main one. The first year there was, uh, you know, they observed some issues that, uh, you know, flower timing is important for establishment of gibberella ear rot on the ear as well as dawn development once that mold is established. Um, but there was a realization that, you know, weather impacts during flower timing have a big impact on gibberella ear rot and dawn accumulation as well. I think that's okay. known, but the issue there is that if you're not trying to account for that, then your ratings at the end of the day just might be reflecting differences in uh, weather conditions at flowering more so than actual dawn susceptibilities. There's been some refining of the protocols over the last couple of years. So now they're doing four planting timings to make sure there's a range of uh, weather conditions to try to get you know, more of a selection of hybrids that right. are flowering under conducive conditions for dawn, mm-hmm. even when they're being inoculated and misted. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, there's been some improvements over time. Again, this is the third year okay. and, uh, and yeah, hopefully produce some good data for, uh, for those hybrid trials. Yeah, that would be great and helpful for everyone. I'm, I'm sure uh, we definitely don't want to relive that 2018 year of Try to yeah, definitely. Avoid that everybody's again. glad to forget. I think. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. absolutely. Okay, I think that's about it uh, from me, Ben. If there's anything else that you'd like to share with growers, um, any other tips or reminders, or where they can get more information um, as the season progresses. You know, the stuff we put out is all uh, at fieldcropnews.com. That's where we post our extension stuff. If you're looking for stuff that we're putting out, uh, mm-hmm. but not beyond that. Uh, looking forward to another growing season and. Uh, hopefully get some plots and things out and uh, yeah, not nothing else major. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Ben. Always great to, to talk to you and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to see you out and about this summer. Likewise. Thanks for the invitation, Stephanie. Hi, Jeremy. How are you? Good, Stephanie. I am doing wonderful. Uh, so my name is Jerry Boychin. I'm the agronomy research extension specialist uh, out of Alberta wheat and barley. So my job's to take information from, from, uh, the research that we fund and, and provide that for producers. 
Excellent. So uh, as we talk, it's uh, just about mid-April um, and things are starting. I know people are getting antsy to get out into the fields. And so I thought I would uh, chat with you today about seeding progress and what you've kind of seen for Alberta and a little bit of Saskatchewan that you that you work with. Um, and uh, maybe you can let us know what you've seen so far. How is seeding going? What's the progress? Has it just started? How do you foresee the seeding schedule playing out over the next little bit? For sure. It, it, at this point, it certainly feels like we're on the brink of, of you know, seeding kind of hit, hitting full steam, um, especially in the southern part of the province. I think the north is still a little bit of, of um, patience left until we, we hit seeding time. Uh, but certainly have chatted with a couple of producers down in southern Alberta that are putting some wheat in. Uh, I think the first bit of wheat went in March 15th. We did have a, a little Twitter bet going on. So I do know the first... The first bout of wheat in southern Alberta went in um, on the halfway through March. So, uh, but there's been a few producers that I've chatted with that have started moving closer to the border, uh, and and you know I think that's typically on schedule. Um, some of these producers, you know, starting um, early early April, mid April is is a reasonable timeline. But over the next week or so, I imagine unless weather comes in and gives us something surprising, that will continue to move. Um, will continue to move and, and put seed in the ground in the southern part of the province. Uh, but I think uh, I think some moisture coming in would probably be welcomed, even if it did delay seeding a little bit. Uh, yeah. we're, we're looking a little bit dry and, and uh, I'd be remiss to say that, you know, I've chatted with a couple of, of winter wheat producers um, and the one thing <laughs> I keep uh, reminding myself and they keep reminding me of is, uh, you know, at least my winter wheat's already in the ground. So. <laughs> That's true. Now, it's funny you mentioned about the ultra early spring cereals already. Um, and we've talked about this before um, in Top Crop Manager with uh, this Dr. Brian Barris did some research on ultra early seeding wheat. So are people kind of spinning off of that and, and giving that a shot? Or have you heard much about the reasoning and the methods behind that? Absolutely. It is something that is growing in interest. More people are talking about it. More people are giving it a try and we're seeing more and more success. Um, you know, there's, there's always those, those few areas where it doesn't do as well, just because of spring conditions, you can't get in as early. Um, but when the, the soil conditions are right, you're in that two to six degrees Celsius soil temperature. Um, you can get on that field. There's no snow left. Mm. Um, it's a good opportunity to, to, to kind of give it a try. And, and yeah, as expected, those in the southern part of the province, you know, with a little bit more time on their hands when it comes to season length, um, they're, they're, they're more willing to give it a try. Uh, I think there's, um, you know, there's always concern as you get into the, the northern or western part of the provinces that, you know, if there's, if there's something that goes wrong, um, your window is just a little bit more challenging to work with. Um, also, you know, early season moisture can be an issue getting in that early. So even if soil moisture is warm enough, it can be a challenge getting in. Um, but yeah, we are seeing more people taking this on and, you know, it, it, it makes sense. Um, you know, you put that seed in the ground, there's a delay in germination. So you're not getting that seed popping up right away. So it's not really being impacted by those frosts. And I'm sure Brian covered this, but you look at <clears throat> some of the research that he did and some of that seed went in the ground in mid-February and had mm -hmm. 30 of minus 10 and below uh, and came up and, and um, produced a fine crop. So uh, I'm excited to see it grow. I think there's a lot of opportunity there for us to increase capacity um, just yeah. by our season length. 
Yeah, it is really exciting. And I want to go back to that in a minute. But in the meantime, while we were just chatting about or you were just chatting about conditions um, and soil moisture, and I want to just jump to that a little little bit really quick. Um, I saw that you put out on a Twitter a uh, request for what soil conditions have been like and what people are looking at. So I wondered if you could share some of the feedback that you've gotten from producers. Um, Are things too wet? Are they too dry? What are we what are we seeing? What do we need um, to, to keep moving? Yeah, it's uh, the word of the day here is dry. <laughs> that is the general impression <laughs> I'm getting from the majority of producers. Yeah. Uh, there's there's some areas that aren't so bad when you get closer to that Red Deer Edmonton corridor. Um, parts of, of northern Saskatchewan are still not looking too, too bad. Um, but a large portion of the prairies is looking very dry. We haven't seen extended moisture since the end of the season last season mm. um, so it's it's looking pretty dry and uh, you know it's a stark contrast um, especially in some of those northern areas uh, that that saw heavy moisture for three four years yeah. um, so I think they're they're a little bit relieved that they can get into the field but we want to make sure we can get some moisture to get to get seeding you know along nicely and get nice germination and I was actually looking at some of the um, the prediction maps uh, for the um, probability of those areas actually reaching average moisture levels at this point and, and average at the date of May 1st, okay. you know, catching up to those deficiencies. And, um, you know, a lot of these areas are sitting at a zero to 10% probability of, of catching up or, or even 10 or 20 to 30% probability. So um, well, yeah, unless we get <laughs> some, some substantial rainfalls, uh, we're probably going to be lacking behind for the first while. Um, so some, like I was mentioning, some some spring snows, some early spring so- snows to kind of add some moisture to those top few inches would probably probably be welcomed by a number of producers to get that germination going. Yeah, and that's certainly not out of the question. I mean, it's only mid-April. You never know what could happen. Even where I'm in, where I am in Ontario, we had snowfall in May last year. So anything, anything could happen. I think we chalked that up to just being 2020, and that's why we we had a May snowfall. But uh, but who knows? History could repeat itself this year. So uh, well, let's let's keep our fingers crossed at least for our friends in Alberta who who need that moisture. Um, uh, I want to go to predictions a little bit, um, and maybe you have some data to back this up, but, uh, what do you think, uh, do you have any data on estimated acres to be seeded for 2021 for different cereals in Alberta? Um, and, and any trends that you can comment on in terms of, you know, increased acreage, um, or interest at least in, in spring cereals or, or anything like that. Yeah, um, you know, there's been a couple of things that have come out of, of a looking at some of the numbers from from Stats Canada and, and b having discussion with producers and, and what mm-hmm. they're feeling and what the market looks like. And usually the data that that comes from um, Stats Canada is pretty aligned with with market decisions and market driven um, kind of price for for crops. Uh, so barley, you know especially feed barley, we've seen a price increase. So there's been a, a big increase in the demand for, for putting some of those acres in. Um, so we're expecting to see some of those feed barley acres go up. Um, potentially malt, malt might fall, follow, uh, but we're definitely seeing some, some feed acres go up. Uh, and then again, with the price of canola, we're seeing that canola acres are, are trending up. But overall, when it comes to wheat, I think we're expected to stay relatively flat. Um, and unfortunately for the pulse market, I think um, some of those, those barley acres and canola acres might be stealing pulse acres uh, and, and kind of um, jumping in on top of those. But 
you know, I hope that a lot of producers aren't only following, you know, market driven decisions when it comes to rotations. There's been a number of producers that I've chatted with that have said, you know, I'm just continuing on the rotation <clears throat> and which is good. You know, a lot of these producers have their four year rotation mm-hmm. as planned, that's based on agronomic decisions to get the most out of their fields, the most out of their farms. Um, so I think, you know, we may see a bit of a swing for those acres that are flex on each farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think we'll see anything substantial or, or um, kind of mind blowing that, that may blow us out of the water here. So, okay. yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess a lot of those decisions are, as you said, made three or four years in advance. And sometimes it's just, it feels safer to just stick with that and, and continue with, with your plan. And going back to kind of predictions, um, I always like to ask people what they could see in their crystal ball. So if you're looking ahead to the summer um, and, and to the spring, even in seeing in terms of pest or disease pressure for cereal growers, uh, what's on your radar for some of the, your major concerns um, for pressure this year? So there's a couple of things to to be mindful of. Um, you know, I'm going to speak probably more on the Alberta side for this, but there's a few that certainly um, kind of uh, push into Saskatchewan as well. Um, wheat midge is something of concern this year. We're seeing populations go up go up across the prairies, and that's because we've seen good spring moisture over the past couple of years. So we, mm-hmm. we're seeing populations increase. Uh, and one thing that's confounding this issue is that because we hadn't seen uh, wheat midge populations be a concern previous to that. The beneficial insects that are going to help control those populations, they're not there. Mm-hmm. Um, we're likely going to see populations of wheat midge that are uh, potentially, you know, quite damaging. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully a lot of those producers in those regions um, that would have seen uh, forecast maps heading into the season, um, that they've selected midge tolerant varieties. Right. And um, other than that, if you're not using a wheat midge tolerant variety, then then getting out and scouting at the ideal timing, which is when you're getting into that uh, elongation um, and into head emergence to see when what type of pressure you're getting and whether control needs to be done. Um, wheat stem softfly is something that continues to be an issue in the southern part of the province. Um, you know, in that that Claire's home surrounding area and and down towards towards the south part of the province, we're seeing higher populations of those. Um, you know, there are some varieties of of uh, spring wheat that are um, providing opportunity for us to control those, um, but there's not a huge selection of them at this point. So we're seeing some pressure and and some variety decisions that need to be made. Um, you know, should I be switching to Durham for uh, for a tolerant variety or or should I be taking other tactics? Um, Stripe rust is certainly one that's on the radar. Uh, What we've seen from the Pacific Northwest is they've seen an an above average population or or, um, buildup of of, uh, stripe rust in their nurseries and in their fields. Mm -hmm. And know that when spring comes along and mid season, a lot of the wind paths come from the Pacific Northwest and will blow those spores into Southern and Central Alberta um, and even into Saskatchewan. So that's something to keep an eye out for. It's something to be scouting for. Um, and, uh, you know, mind you, all of these things are, are environmentally 
dependent, right? right. Uh, I say these things, um, but they are they are cautions and considerations, and it's important for producers to know who their resources are and know where their resources are. The Prairie Pest Monitoring Network provides a plethora of information for producers on the prairies on, on what insects will be an issue and when. Uh, and now on top of that, the Prairie Crop Disease Monitoring Network, which is uh, pushed along by Dr. Kelly Turkington at AASC Lacombe, mm -hmm. um, provides updates on, on stripe rust blowing in and, and what the disease issues may be. Um, so being aware of these things and, and monitoring that information coming in is going to help you make a better decision on whether to be using a fungicide or, or whether to be using an insecticide and, and what those thresholds look like. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then a couple other things that, that are a potential concern. Um, Fusarium head blight is, is something that we're seeing um, kind of confounding and, and growing in Alberta. Uh, yeah. Last year, we didn't see a huge amount of infection, but we certainly had environmental conditions that, that would have been conducive for it. Um, so there's some concern and consideration around, you know, are we have, do we have a buildup year? And if we have excess moisture in season this year, will it become a high infection year? Um, so communicating with your agronomist, watching the fusarium risk maps for your province is gonna help you get an idea of whether you're at risk there. And then the third one, or the last one, sorry, is uh, bacterial leaf streak. Um, this is something that not as common, uh, but it is a bacterial disease that is not controlled um, via fungicides or seed treatment, um, but it can display itself very similarly in the field as such uh, and can cause pretty significant impacts on yield. Okay. Um, so this is something that, you know, I, I don't want to get too far into because it'd be quite a rabbit hole to talk about it, but um, be aware of it as an agronomist, as a producer, um, talk to your, um, your, your, uh, your, um, your government um, extension people uh, and get an idea of what to watch out for, when to watch out for it and, and what potential control tactics there be, there will be, but those are the main things to be watching out for this year, at least on my radar. Okay. That's good to know. I think there's a lot. I mean, there's, uh, there's so many factors that can contribute to that kind of pressure, as you mentioned, weather, um, and, and, you know, we always want, uh, to advise producers and agronomists to make the best decisions for their farms, but we have to keep in mind, you know, economic thresholds, um, and making sure that you are making the right choice, not only for your bottom line, but for your field too. So, um, yeah, choosing when and, and how um, to use products and, and uh, to make those decisions is always a game, I think. And so if we can be as prepared as possible, that's what, that's, that's the best tool that we can have. And that's kind of what we're hoping to uh, just share that information with our listeners today for, for uh, the best preparation. So that's really helpful. Excellent. Um, and before, I guess we, um, you know, you've, you've added a lot of reminders there, but is there anything else that you wanted to just mention to listeners today as they begin seeding and kind of work through the, the early part of their season? Any, any good tips to keep in mind? For sure. Um, I mean, there's a few things that are going to come up year by year. Um, things that, that are a nice reminder to talk about you know, making sure that you're, you're implementing ideal seeding rate. So you're using thousand kernel weight, mm -hmm. looking at your germination to get an idea of how many seeds per square foot or seeds per meter squared you're putting down when you're targeting a specific plant stand. Um, 
you know, one of the big things that we're, uh, you know, we kind of touched on it is, is the dry conditions in Western Canada at this point, you know, this is going to increase considerations of, okay, how do I manage this? Mm-hmm. How do I manage these dry conditions and, and get the most out of my crop? And, um, you know, usually the discussion comes down to, okay, well, you have, you have three options, right? You can either put the seed in the dust and wait for rain to come, you know, seed it at a, at a decent you know, that one and a half to two inches and and wait for rain to come. You can seed deeper uh, or you can wait for rain and and put it in. And, um, you know, I'm kind of uh, um, a fan of the first two, Um, you know, putting it in the ground and and waiting for a nice even rainfall. And that way it's in the ground, it's going to be coming up. Um, And you're, to me, you're more likely to get an even rainfall. And I'm sure many people would argue me on this, depending on where they are in the province. Um, but you know, I would anticipate a more even rainfall across a field before I would expect that deeper seeding would evenly hit, um, the soil moisture level across a field. Right. Uh, so if you're digging and, and pushing down for more moisture, I would get concerned that some of those seeds are getting into moisture and others aren't. So you're waiting for rainfall for some while others are emerging. Right. And the goal here is really to try and create the most even emergence, the most even crop. When that happens, we reduce the amount of tillers that we're dealing with when it comes to cereals. We have mm-hmm. um, more even maturity rate um, uh, movement through the season. Um, so the plants aren't competing with themselves as they are growing. You're getting less weed issues. The inputs that you're putting on, whether you're doing a fungicide or in crop or whatever it happens to be, um, you're hitting more plants at the ideal timing. Um, so, you know, that's why I'm kind of that fan of, you know, get it in the ground. Um, rain will come fingers crossed and it will come. Uh, we haven't lost a, a crop that early yet. Um, but I think if we do that and get that rainfall to come, we're more likely to get that even emergence. <clears throat> if we wait, wait for rain, you know, if, if that rain does start coming and then you're not able to get in then you're delaying yourself even further. Um, and you know, if you are in a really dry condition, um, you're worried about how much nitrogen you're putting down, you can always ask that question of, you know, is this an opportunity for me to maybe split my nitrogen application? Can I put 60 to 70% up front instead of that, that hundred percent, if I mean, for, you know, 80, 90 bushel wheat, um, typically, but you know, soil conditions are saying, uh, you know, 40 or 50 is more reasonable. Do I pull back? But always consider, you know, do I have the capacity and the time to do in crop nitrogen if I need to? Um, so those are things to, to be considerate of. And, and um, the discussion of wheat versus barley when you're going into dry conditions, you know, wheat is typically um, more apt to push through deep seeding. So if you are aiming for deep seeding, um, you know, wheat is going to survive better than something like barley. It's just you're going to get better emergence. It's going to survive a little as it pushes through and then of course seed safety rates when it comes to to nitrogen in the furrow Um, if you're in a really dry condition and you're going at that uh, at those recommended rates depending on your your seed bed utilization and depending on your soil type um, if you're in really a lot of those recommendations are based on 70 75 percent of field capacity moisture mm. so if you're really dry you're going to want to drop those down by 50 percent uh, to help with seed safety so um, you know there's, there's a few other things that need to be con- that we need to be considerate of with with uh, dry seeding 
Um, but again, I, I highly recommend talking to uh, your agronomist or extension specialist and talk some of through through some of these things. Mm-hmm. Because like all issues when it comes to agronomic decisions, um, there's there's field and farm specific considerations that right. need to be thought about. So um, you know, don't feel don't feel bad to reach out and have those discussions to see what what might work best on your farm. Yeah, absolutely. And at the end of the day, every, every farm is different and all the conditions are different and, and your decisions have to reflect that. So like you said, you've only got a, a certain amount of time for your growing season. So let's make sure you can maximize as much of that as possible. So um, all really helpful tips. Thank you. Oh, and the one thing also thing I didn't mention was um, uh, herbicide carryover. Oh, yeah. Um, some of that, uh, some of the areas in, in Western Canada did not get a lot of moisture near the, like towards the middle and end of the season last year. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, reach out to uh, your your extension specialist and have that discussion. There's resources online for, for Alberta, for um, Saskatchewan, and I, I'm pretty sure Manitoba has something as well. Um, and see whether you're in that risk zone and, and take a look and see if it's something to consider. That's a good reminder. Good stuff. Okay. Um, are there any projects or trials that you're working on within Alberta wheat and barley or that you're just in, in general excited and looking forward to, to continuing this year, any work you'd like to share? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so this year is the second year of what Alberta wheat and Alberta barley are calling our plot to farm project. Um, this is a on-farm research network. Uh, we are <clears throat> developing protocols for producers who are part of the program uh, for them to implement. So we're providing the, the, the protocols and, and um, kind of the framework for them to implement trials on their farm for the questions that they're looking to answer. Uh, so last year, we only had two. Um, it went off quite well. We looked at, at seeding rates and we looked at variety selection. Um, mm-hmm. It was a it was a successful year. So this year we're jumping up. We, we're looking at we have three different PGR trials going on, wow. uh, two different seeding rate trials going on. We have an in-crop nitrogen trial going on, uh, and an enhanced efficiency fertilizer trial going on to see whether mixing ratios at, at uh, seeding of an enf- enhanced efficiency fertilizers um, will help with with yield and protein. So we're really excited to see this grow. Um, you know, we see a lot of uh, you know, Manitoba has a, has a great on-farm research network that, mm-hmm. that they do a great job bringing information together for producers. Um, you know, across the border, Nebraska U has a great on-farm research network as well. Um, so we're, we, we really want to be part of that whole um, kind of movement of, of bringing value from, from on-farm research. So producers yeah. can make decisions on uh, research and, and and information that's coming directly from their farm. The small plot is all evidence-based research. <laughs> it's just, sometimes it's a little distance. Yeah. You know, it, it really provides that framework of understanding. It allows us to ask that question on farm with a little bit of, of rigidity in how we ask it and okay. um, allows us to approach it with, uh, with a lens that um, really helps us analyze whether, what this impact is going to look like on mm. farm. Gotcha. Um, so I think, I think it's important to know that they work in concert with each other, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, without, without that small plot research, um, we wouldn't be making those advancements as quickly as we are, right. uh, but 
there's huge value in producers taking that information and seeing how it impacts their farm. And that, that really comes down to that whole G by E by M interaction. What genetics are you using? What environment are you in? And what management is different than what they did in those trials? Mm-hmm. Again, it's, it's small plot provides that kind of framework of understanding, but on farm really helps us get an idea of how it's gonna impact you on your farm. Yeah. Um, so, so there's value in both for sure. Absolutely. Now you said you had two farms participating in that last year and are there, mm-hmm. there's more, uh, there are more farms involved in 2021? Yeah, we have uh, seven different farms and eight different protocols going oh, on. Very good. Is it too late for, for more to join or have you? Kind it of- is this year. We're too late for, for others to join. And I actually had to shut it, uh, close it off early because we had reached capacity. We really want this this to grow in a successful way, mm-hmm. uh, with keeping it close, um, allowing us to monitor how that growth happens and, and sure. catch issues before they become something significant and sure. make sure we're fine tuning as we grow. Um, but you know, if you're an Alberta producer and this sounds interesting to you, keep an eye out because um, likely as we get towards the end of this season, we'll have the opportunity for submissions uh, for producers to be part of the program. And, and you know, we're happy to work with all producers. So That's awesome. Very exciting. We'll definitely uh, watch to, to hear more from you and, and find out how that plays out and, and what you've come up with this year. So very cool. Keep, please keep us posted on that. Will do. Alrighty. Well, Jeremy, that's it for my questions for you. If there's anything else you'd like to add, feel free, but um, otherwise it was great to chat with you. No, it was great, Stephanie. I, uh, I'm excited for us to get this season rolling and mm-hmm. You know, it's been a long cold winter so i'm i'm excited to see some wheat in the ground i'm excited to walk through some fields and i'm sure uh, many of us are so yeah have fun and be safe out there everyone and, and i look forward to seeing everyone out in the field very good i echo those comments we are wishing everyone the very best for the season and and yes have fun and definitely be safe so uh thanks again jeremy for joining us today thanks steph Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To catch up on all of our other episodes, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts.